John 16, 25. We've come to the end of this upper room discourse. These are the very last things that Jesus has to say, the last discourse, and these verses are the very last things he has to say to his disciples, the 11 of them. The next chapter, he turns his head from the disciples and his heart to heaven and prays to the Father. But he's still talking to those that are gathered around him and to us, because here it is, we have it today. And he's saying, look, the world is, is tough. You can expect it to be difficult. That's important for us that it doesn't surprise us when something hard happens in our life because sometimes we can see someone's tendency is, all right, that's it. If this is what I get from Jesus, he loves me and he lets this happen, I'm out of here. Why should I even try? Why should it? And, and eventually they'll come back. They won't, they won't look like much when they get back, but there's, there's no answer out there either. And he's going to say, look, in the middle of all of this, the reason that he is saying these things, he said, it, is that you might have peace. But your peace is going to be in me, not in the world. So you can imagine what's on his heart as he's looking at these 11 guys. He sat at this table and said, you guys are my friends. Jehovah, imagine that. And he's taking them through these different things. And he knows he's hours from Gethsemane, Pilate, the cross. It's all upon him at this point. Verse 25 says, he said, these things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. And that day you shall ask in my name. I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from the Father. I came forth from the Father. I come into the world. Again, I leave the world. And I go to the Father, no, the disciples. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest thou not in parables. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every one of you to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then he turns his heart to the Father from there. So 
remarkable ending to this discourse. This, this is the summation, you know, he's tying things together here. And he says here in verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you. Your translation might say parables. It says Proverbs here. The, the word really, it assumes the idea of pictures or illustrations. And we know that he had told them, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You go through the different things. He said that the last day is like a woman in travail and she's in you know, torment until the child is born, but then she rejoices. He, he's given them pictures and spoken to them these kinds of things. And he says here, I've spoken this way, but the time cometh. And, and look, that's on his heart. In verse 23, he said, in that day. Verse 25 here, he says, the time cometh, is already coming, literally. In verse 26, again, he says, at that day. And understand, he's looking at the 11, I believe looking at us, and he's seeing past the passion, past the crucifixion, past the grave, past the resurrection to the ascension. He, he's, he keeps saying, in that day. He's looking at these guys, they don't understand yet. He's thinking, Father, in that day. And you think, you know, that the love that he has for these men and for us as he's speaking these things. And he says, in that day, he says, I'm no longer going to speak in parables, but then I'll be able to speak to you plainly is the idea. You have to understand what's coming. You're not ready to hear these things now. He has said that to them. He's going to say, oh, do you understand now? You're all going to be scattered. Because without the Holy Spirit, without the Comforter, they haven't really taken hold of this. But he wants them to know as we go through these things, look, what's coming, the passion, the crucifixion, is not a defeat it is not a disaster. They don't know what we know here this morning. Try to imagine. He says what's coming is the greatest demonstration of the heart of God in time and in eternity in human history. That's what's coming. I can't speak to you plainly about that now, openly, easily understood, because they, they, they couldn't hear it on their side of the event. You and I can hear it because we're on the other side of all of that, and we have the Holy Spirit. But you and I, again, should never confuse what happened on that cross as a defeat or a disaster. Jesus said that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. He says in verse 26, at that day, you shall ask in my name. Listen to what he says here. I say not unto you, I'm not saying that I will pray the Father for you. He says in that day, you're going to go directly to the Father on your own. In my name. Now, it isn't a formula. In the name of Jesus. It's, it's in his onama, in everything that he is, in everything that he's done, in everything that he's finished, in all that is in his character. We're, we're going to go to the Father knowing that Jesus is our Savior. Knowing that through him we can come boldly to the throne of grace. He says, you're going to go to the Father in my name. I'm not saying 
that I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to pray for you. He's not saying that. You know, he, 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 it's in his name, he says, that we'll do that, which is singular. He mentions it in 23, 24, 26, in my name. And I think he's putting before us, you know, this, this idea that the Bible only knows one mediator. That's all the Bible knows about. And whoever that mediator is, he has to be deity. Because if he's encouraging them and all of us and all of our brethren around the world today that we can go to the Father in his name, then the one that's listening has to be able to hear literally millions of prayers at one time, whatever language that they're in, He has to be able to understand each one of them individually and have compassion and answers for each one of those prayers individually. And only deity can do that. Isaiah would say that his, I mean, the Psalms first, his thoughts towards us, Psalm 139, are more than the grains of sand on the seashore. His thoughts towards us are more than the the grains of sand on the seashore. I read this one guy, and I don't know why people do this. He was a mathematician, which I'm not, so I would never do what he did. But he said that's 10 to the 17 power times 70 times the grains of sand. You're a mathematician. Do whatever you want with that. The idea is he thinks about us all time for me. And Jeremiah says his thoughts towards us are good continually only. And, and he's telling us here, in my name, you can go to him, singular. Look, not in the name of Mary, not in the name of St. Jude. And I don't say that to be offensive or to hurt anyone's feelings. I say that because Jesus Christ himself will lay down his life, and he's the only mediator between God and man, And it's not, you know, a tragedy that there's only one mediator between God and man. It's a miracle that there is one mediator between you and I and a holy God. So he says the day is coming when you'll be able to go directly to him on your own. I'm not going to pray for you anymore. You can go to him in my name. And then in verse 27, he begins with four. This is the reason we're going to go in his name. This is why we don't have to wait for Jesus to petition the Father on our our behalf because for the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. That I came out from God. He said, here's the reason you don't need me to, to pray. And, and if, if you're going to get one thing, he's saying, guys, you have to get this. You've got to understand this. I don't have to go to the Father and persuade him to be gracious to you all and to be loving. It isn't like if you go in my name, I'm telling you to do that so that it will calm him down. And he won't deal with you in the way you deserve to be dealt with. 
It isn't saying that God the Son is going to plead with God the Father to be patient and gracious with us. It isn't saying that God the Son has to change the character of God the Father to make him gracious. That would be heresy. He's saying the Father himself there is emphatic in the Greek language. It means the Father, him, himself. Nobody else, the Father himself. The reason you don't need me to pray for you is because the Father himself loveth you. That's why you can go right to him. And it's interesting, he changes You know, all through the New Testament, for God so loved agape, we hear so much about agape, and and we understand theologically, God loves me. That's, you know, with that divine love. And it's almost like he has to, because he said he would. But he uses a different word here. He says, the Father, the Father himself, filio, he's fond of you. He likes you. It's, It's the love that you have with a friend. And he had told him that night, you are my friends. No greater love is any in this. He laid down his life for his friends. It's the love that a father has for a son or for a daughter. And I think of that in my own life, what that means. He says the father himself loveth present indicative the father himself continually and perpetually is fond of you that's why you can go in my name I've paid the price on the cross you're not ready to hear that now but I'm going to speak at some point plainly and because you have loved which again is filio, but it's their perfect tense. You have loved and believed, which means you did it once, it's complete, it's done, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Isn't it, this morning? We have loved him, and we do believe in him, and that's the bottom line. And he says, because of that, the Father loves you. You know, as I sit sometimes alone with him in the morning, the Father, I, I can almost taste it sometimes. I say, Father, and the thing is, I, I know that he loves me, but there are those moments where I realize he likes me. <laughs> a lot of times there's people around me that don't, for one reason or another. He doesn't love me. He likes me. He's fond of me. I'm his son, and I'm blood-bought. And the door is open wide for me to go to my Father in the name of, of Jesus. Because... I've loved Jesus, and I believed in him. And I know some of you are going to think, oh, I don't love Jesus. How can I get to do that? Show me the manual. Look, look, look. Same John, God uses him again to write, we love him because he first loved us. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to pay the price fully, to suffer in our place. I need to love Jesus more. Do you really? Poor Christian. So do I. I need to love Jesus more. You know, in the ages to come, we're still going to be learning about his grace and his mercy, and those things will still be coming before our heart, Paul says. 
And here Jesus says, you have to get a hold of this. The Father himself is continually and perpetually, heartfeltly involved with you because he's fond of you the way a parent is for a child. He loves you. And it's because you've believed in me, you've loved me. And he said, because you believed I've come forth from the Father. And then in verse 28, he tells us. Now, this is probably the greatest statement of faith in some way through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not contain this. He says here in one verse, I came forth from the Father, and I'm come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. He says, this is the deal. I came into the world. Uh, it, it, it begins by saying, I came out from the Father. Look at 28. I came forth from the Father. The language is ek. He came out from. So he preexisted. And he comes out from the very substance. He's the same substance and deity as the Father. We, we can never treat that too lightly. What he's saying here is, I came forth from the Father. What the Father is, is what I am. You know, Philip, you know, have you been with me so long you don't know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Henceforth, say no more, show us the Father. He says, I came forth from the Father. It means pre-existence. And he could have just come forth from the Father, ended up nowhere. That was, his mission was to go forth, Messiah. But the next thing he says is, I came into the world as Messiah, speaking of the incarnation. He came out from the Father, but then he did the next thing was he took on human flesh. And he says that here, that I am come into the world. And the interesting thing, that's, that's called a, a perfect tense. It's active. I've come into, and it's, it, it indicates ongoing results. What it means is he came in the incarnation into the world. He took on a human frame. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He took on a human frame in the perfect tense, which means what he became is what he will always be. He will always be the God-man. At the right hand of the power on high is a carpenter from Galilee wearing our skin. Took it to heaven so that we can have that hope. And he came into this world, perfect tense, took, it, took on our nature, our likeness, our human frame. And then he says, here, I'm going back then. This is obviously through the cross and the resurrection. That was the pathway, his passion for him to leave this world. And that's a present. He's doing it. It's active. And then the ascension. I go. I'm going. He sees that it's happening already. I'm going back to the Father. That's why we have a high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. As always, he was tempted as we are yet without sin. 
so we can come to his father now. He says the father's fond of us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. And the one there who intercedes for us, which is not the same as us going to the father, the one who intercedes for us, which is another just expression of God's love that he's there as our high priest, the one who intercedes, he intercedes for us, he knows what it is to be tired. He know, know what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be forsaken. He knows what it is to feel pain. He knows what it is to die a human death. And he's at the right hand of the Father who is continually fond of us to the point where we can go to him ourselves in Jesus' name and don't need Jesus to pray for us any longer. Now, look, it's interesting then, you know, they say, oh, we understand plainly, 2930. The disciples said, lo, now you you don't need to tell Jesus lo, Uh, pay attention. Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and you're no longer speaking. This must be speaking plainly. You're not speaking in parables. Now we are sure that thou knowest all things. They're sure of something. And needest not that any man should ask thee. We need to ask any more questions. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. You know, they're, they're genuine. But they don't have the Holy Ghost yet. They're genuine. They're, they're, they're looking to embrace what they think he's placed in front of them. Look, for you and I, at this point in time, we understand the, the cross. We understand. But, you know, when he's saying here, you can go to the Father and pray. George Mueller said, true praying is not overcoming God's reluctance. True praying is overcoming God's willingness. True praying is not overcoming God's reluctance. We feel like we got to wear him out. He's there. You know, we got to keep asking him. No, no. George Mueller said, no, the true praying is overcoming his willingness because it's hard for us to believe anybody has offered us that much and loves us that much, has given to us that much, is waiting, you know, there for us to come and to pour out our hearts. True praying is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's overcoming God's willingness. And he's telling these guys, and they're saying, oh, now we got it. Now we we understand. And then in verse 31, he says, Jesus answered them and said, do you now believe? Is it a question? Uh, Do you now believe or is it a statement? Now you do believe. The now there is different from the now, the two nows in 29 and 30. This now is just now. So is he saying, are you just now believing after these years together? Or is he saying just now you're coming to believe these things? It doesn't matter because in verse 32, he's going to tell us how that just now failed, the failure of it. He goes on to say this in verse 32. He says, behold. Now, they said low to him. He's telling you, no, behold, this is what you need to think about. The hour cometh, yea, is now come that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. He says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He said, really, you believe? 
Well, understand this, the hour is coming, and then and the hour cometh, it's on its way. And then he says, no, it's already come. It has come. Judas is out betraying him. The 30 pieces of silver have been paid. The soldiers are getting ready to come to Gethsemane and take him. The process has already begun. And now he's saying the hour is coming, has already come, he says. When you will be scattered, every man to his own way. It's interesting there because the word scattered is passive, which means it isn't your fault that you're scattered. You're passive in this. And there are things that happen in all of our lives that scatter us, that we don't ask for. We're Christians. We end up in tough situations. Something happens. We're, and, and it almost makes us run away from Jesus. Because the, the guilt here is, and you're going to leave me alone. That's something they did. The scattering was something that came upon them. And he says, every man's going to go to his own in his own direction. And when something hard happens in our life, we do that. We all go to our own, whatever we like to fall back on. And he says, there's no sin in that because hard things come. You know, the scattering takes place because of out time circumstances. But the problem is when you do flee, you shouldn't flee from me. You shouldn't leave me alone. We have to assume responsibility for that. And in this night, you'd think of the impact of it as they would do that. He, you know, he's already warned Peter before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Now he's warning all of them. You're all going to be scattered. They live through this. You and I are reading it much later. We understand the picture, but they experienced the emotion of it that evening. We were scattered, but when it happened, we left them alone. We forsook them. John will follow into the courts of Caiaphas. Peter will deny him there. None of the rest of them are at the cross. He says, you're going to leave me alone. Now try to imagine, think about what he feels as he says this. He had been with these men for three years, but he loved them with a divine love. He loved them more than anyone in this room has ever loved a friend, even if you've had that friend for 50 years. He loved these men more than any husband and wife in this room have ever loved their spouse. He loved them more than any parent in this room that's had a child for 40 or 50 years. He loved them with an immeasurable love. He knew who they were. He's speaking to them here. And what was it for him to look at them? He had just spent those hours at the table and called them his friends. And he says, now you're going to leave me alone. And I think he knew it was going to hurt them more than it was going to hurt him. You're going to leave me alone. And yet, I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. Is present tense. The Father is always with me in a sense is what he's saying there. He would do it in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any way, this cup. Yes. The father was with him. The father was with him when he sent angels to strengthen him so they could agonize. The father was with him so he could endure the beating. The ripping out of his beard, the spitting, the mockery, the scourging. 
the crown of thorns. The father was with him. Interesting, the language tells us that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It says he was saying it while they were nailing him to the cross. He didn't say it one time. Evidently, he was saying it over and over. They don't know what they're doing, Father. Forgive them as he's being nailed. The cross is raised up, and the father was with him. He wasn't alone. He looked at his mother said, Woman, behold thy son. John, behold your mother. The father was with him. The father gave him this last great gift of this thief saying, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The father was with him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But then the sky turns black. Matthew 27 tells us, he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, have you ever felt forsaken? This is the greatest measure and experience of forsakenness that has ever happened in eternity. All our sense of forsakenness doesn't even measure up to this. That's why he's a great high priest for us. Yep. Though I'm not alone, the Father's always with me until there where it says that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God is righteous. He can't look upon sin. And somehow in those three hours of darkness, he died eternally. So that when he comes out of it, he says, it is finished. Before he died physically, it is finished. The payment had been made. Eternal death. And then the last thing he'll say again is, Father, again, the Father's with him. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things, verse 33, I say unto you that you might have peace. That's this whole thing that he's longing for them. He, sees, he understands the difficulty that's ahead of him. These things have I spoken. By the way, I have spoken. So it's the word of God. That's why we're here reading it today. If you, if you need peace, you need to be in the word. These things have I spoken unto you. Notice this, that in me, you may have peace. May have peace. It's subjunctive there. In me, you might have peace. Not a theory of peace. Not a theoretical, theological peace, but that you might experience peace, is what it's saying. That in me, I'm saying these things to you. You have my word, Calvary Chapel, 2,000 years later, on the page. And I'm saying these things to you, that in me, you may be experiencing peace. In this world... You have tribulation. It's more than one world, right? He told us that. He said, I came into the world. I left the world. I came from the Father. Go back. There's not one world. There's more than one world. And see, what's happened is Satan has deceived the world that we live in. Look, when you watch the news, you see what's happening morally, politically, militarily, you know, racially, you look at all of these things around us going on, understand clearly that Satan, the prince of this world, has convinced millions, billions of people 
that there's only one world. There's no order, there's no creation, there's no creator, there's no heaven, there's no hell. All there is is what you got right now. So if you live in whatever moral condition you want to, if you take whatever drug you want to, if you divorce your wife so you can be free, if you, whatever you do, do it now, because that's all there is. You want to commit suicide, do it. You'll finally be out of your pain because there ain't nothing else. And there's a darkness behind all of that. Fill yourself with the immorality and the perversion you think will make a difference. And, and it doesn't make a difference. It's an illusion. Because this world is not all that there is. Satan has convinced multitudes they might as well do, do what they want because that is real freedom. It is real freedom for you to live out however you want to live out. And you don't need to think about eternity because there is no eternity. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's only this world. And what he's done is he's turned this world into a prison house with billions of incarcerated people imprisoned by their blindness, by their sin. And Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Same word that's over in verse 20 there where it says that, the, or verse 21, that a woman, you know, she, she laments when she's in labor and so forth, but then after the child is born, she doesn't remember her anguish. That's the same word. In this world, you have anguish. That's the world that we're in. It's temporary. It's material. With him, it's eternal and it's spiritual. He had told them, look, they, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Sitting at this table. The religious people are going to kill you and think when they're doing it, they're doing God a favor. Don't be surprised. That's the, the world wants you to conform today. And, and more and more is hating Christians. The world wants you to conform to their standards, to their morals, to their philosophies, to their attitude. The world wants you to conform to their philosophy, which says there's only one world. And this is all there is. It's all you get. You and I know that there's more than one world. Because our Savior came from another world, came into this world, accomplished in this world what he came forth to do, left this world, and went back to the other world. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So he says to them, in this world you have tribulation. He says, but be of good cheer. There's a reason. Because I have overcome the world. So you're either an overcomer or you're overcome. There's only two positions you can have. He says, be of good cheer. Take heart is the idea. Because I have overcome. Again, that is a perfect tense, which means it's done once and for all. I have been victorious. I have conquered. I have overcome. I have defeated sin, Satan, and the grave. I am victorious. Be of good courage. I'm the one to do this. And you're going to stand with me. You're going to stand with me at the grave of this present world. 
You're going to stand with me when people say to Satan, is this the man that destroyed the nations and turned them to ash? This one? He says, because I have already accomplished the conquering. You and I are fighting in a warfare not for victory, but from victory. That's how we fight. And our Savior is the one. Look, what that means is, however much time is left, and it don't look like there's a lot. I don't even know the third service. But, <laughs> but that lost sea of humanity is running dry. They're drinking their full of immorality and money and pleasure and power, and they're coming up empty. And God, in his wisdom, has waited. We keep thinking, Lord, get us out of here. What if there's one more person to get saved? That's an eternity. That one person gets saved, all of eternity is changed. What if there's 10 more? What if there's 100 more? What if there's 1,000 more? What if there's a million more? And me, I'm selfish. I'm in already, so just get me out of here. But the reason we're here is not to develop our portfolio, not to collect Krugerrands, not to, you know, conquer our golf swing. You know, the reason we're here for such a time as this is so we can go to those in this world without hope that are lost and bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he says, the Holy Spirit is upon me and on us, he says, to bind up the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of the blind, to open the prison doors and set the captives free. He is kicking down these prison doors he did in our lives, and he can do it in the lives of so many others. Are we going to give ourselves to that? He wants us to have peace. <clears throat> We're not going to have it in this present world. There's anguish, there's suffering. I'm thankful for the days <clears throat> I get to sit with my family. I'm very thankful for the days I get to be with my friends. Thankful for the days I'm not in the dentist chair or the doctor's office. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for a lot of things. God has been so good to me and so gracious. But this is not home. This is not home. This is not home. And if you're here this morning and you're living in that turmoil, you have no hope. It says that Satan, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of those who are lost, lest they see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Your thought processes, your heart, if you can't see that there's another world, but you're sitting here today empty and you're willing to admit that, God's arms are open. He loves you. He sent his son to die in your place. And if you know today that you need to be saved, if you know today, I don't have this. I don't have this peace. I'm, all I have is agita. I'm aggravated all the time. I'm angry. I'm vengeful. I'm lustful. If you, you do not have peace. As we end the service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to come forward. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. We're just going to ask you to stand here Listen, in front of everyone. Jesus said in the same gospel, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. In fact, he says, when one sinner comes, all of heaven is rejoicing because the Father loves you.
The Father loves you. So let's stand. Let's pray together. We'll sing a last song. And before everybody runs out, please, let's pray. Because if the last one that's going to get saved is here, we can be out of here. You run out to your car, it might not happen. But let's, let's bow our hearts. And then again, the invitation is there. You, 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 look, you have to know in yourself. You, you have to listen not to what I'm saying, the Holy Spirit. There's a language of the heart that is heard in every language, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. You can listen to me and think your baloney meter's going off. This guy, I wish you'd finish so I can go get breakfast. But you can't escape that internal voice that may be telling you today, you need to be saved, you're lost. There's more than this world. There's another world. And I want you with me there. You may be hearing that. That's what I want you to listen to. Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you this morning. We thank you for the freedom we still have to gather. Lord, we think of our brethren around the world persecuted, meeting in secret, and some martyred. Lord, here we are. You daily load us with benefits. We never want to be unthankful. So, Lord, we look to you this day. Lord, we ask that you lead us, Lord, as we go through our day to remember, Lord, that there's another world, that our peace is in you, Lord, not in circumstances. But also, Lord, we pray for those standing among us, Lord, that may be lost, empty, living and trying to eke out a life just for this present world. Would you draw them with your love today, Lord? Your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. It's your work, Lord Jesus, not ours. So, Lord, we put these things before you as we lift our voices and our hearts, Lord. Just let it be a corporate prayer that we all lift before you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.